You're listening to Birthplace of Next, the podcast where city officials and partners discuss the latest news and developments in Dayton that make it a livable, sustainable, and innovative community. In this Birthplace of Next special edition, we're featuring Dayton Mayor Jeffrey Mims, who will be talking with Karen Townsend, Ph.D., president of K. Townsend Consulting, about helping leaders create inclusive environments and build high-performing teams. Hello, Dr. Karen Townsend. How are you? I'm fine, Mayor Mims. Thanks for having me today. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. You know, um, the the aspect of seeing you over over the years, here in Dayton, doing so many uh, good things and hearing people talk about you a lot in terms of um, how you interact with the community. And looking at uh, some of the issues on your bio, I see and understand why people hold you in such high esteem. You know, I was fortunate to hear you uh, as a keynote speaker with WILAG this past, uh, I think it was this past spring or summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a tremendous affair. They had a tremendous crowd of seemed like over 400 people seemingly in that space. Uh, where we recognized and uh, congratulated so many young people who are involved in, in that program. So your consulting business, mm-hmm. okay, let's talk about why you start that, that process and what made you feel like you had something to say and that you could make a difference in the lives of people. You want the real story? Yes, or ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Well, you can make up one. No, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the real story. So I started my career in higher education. Okay. I worked at the Ohio State University. All right. And then I met a boy. It's always about a boy. And I moved to Dayton, and I worked at Wright State. And during the course of my tenure at Wright State, I was also pursuing a Ph.D. And when I came near the end of my program, um, the university did a reorganization. And I was going to be doing a different type of work, and... It wasn't in line with what I was really passionate about at the time. Um, Throughout my career, I've always worked with underrepresented students because I was an underrepresented student. I worked with at-risk students because I was an at-risk student. And so while I was going to be doing a part of that, I was going to be doing some other things. And I just, um, I felt like I wanted to do something different. And a wise person once told me, sometimes in order to move up, you have to move out. And I didn't see my next move at the time, so I decided that I was going to start a business. But here's the thing, Mayor. I started my business without a business plan, without a strategic plan, without a marketing plan, most importantly, without any clients. Okay. But as people say, God protects children and fools. Yep. I'm not a child, so you can guess which category <laughs> that put me in. But when I started my business, I wanted to use everything that I had learned as a higher education professional and take it to the marketplace. So again, I'd always worked with underrepresented students, students who don't always have a voice, students that aren't always considered. And in my work in diversity, equity, and inclusion, there's a great parallel to that. I want to help leaders and I want to help internal contributors understand that everybody has value. And if I can do that, I think not only does it help the organization, but it helps the people who make up the organization and it helps our communities. I tell <laughs> folks that I want to help leaders create inclusive environments and build high-performing teams because I believe when you do that, you are better equipped to meet the needs of your colleagues and your clients. And I always say colleagues first before clients. 
Every organization thinks customer service is important and imperative, and it is. But before you can serve clients with excellence, you have to take care of the people who you're relying on to take care of the people. So I believe it's an inside job. Throughout my business, if I can help leaders lead people in their organizations and grow people in their organizations, then I think I've had a good day. Okay. You know, it's quite a lot in terms of listening to some things you said. You know, from a perspective of being you know, a former teacher and a former coach myself, uh, there's so many messages that you laid out, uh, yes, if you will, that talked about, uh, one, uh, making sure that people that you dealt with felt like they had value. Mm-hmm. I know as a teacher, that's probably number one from my perspective in teaching young people to uh, identify uh, good things about themselves. Mm-hmm. I would talk to them about looking in the mirror and uh, once they uh, brush their teeth, comb their hair, or whatever the case may be, wash their face maybe first, and then look in the mirror and then tell themselves just how good they look. And starting off each day with, uh, with that particular attitude. Uh, but also having individuals understand that they look at the talents that they have and how they take those talents and they can transform those talents into different nuggets of uh, value systems that add to the overall person themselves. So when you're talking to adults as well as young people, what's probably maybe the um, number one thing that you do in terms of trying to get them to see the value that they have in themselves? That's an excellent question. I believe that when we are clear about our why, then we can figure out the how of everything else. So why do you do what you do? Why are you passionate about what you're passionate about? Do you even know what you're passionate about? I think back to my days in higher education, many times students arrive on campus and they are going to be a doctor or an attorney or an engineer, which are wonderful professions if that's what you want to do. Correct. So many times in life, we are living somebody else's life. We are pursuing a career or a vocation or an interest because that's what my mother said or my father said. And no disrespect to parents because parents are very important. But I think when we give people permission to be who they were created to be, then they will serve in excellence. And that doesn't matter if you are 18 or 40 or I just turned 60. I think throughout our lives, if we can live in personal authenticity and be able to say who we are, what we believe, and what we're passionate about, it makes life a wonderful journey. You know, what what if they, through that process, find some some hidden talents, some talents that they didn't know that they had, and, and... Side that they want to venture off, if you will, in that direction. Um, what experience have you had with individuals in that, in that uh, space? I think about my own journey. As I said, I worked in higher education for 13 years before I launched my business. And before I decided to leave, I thought about the fact that I need to have a cushion. Yep. I need to make sure I can still eat. And there are ways to incorporate your passion into what you're doing on your nine to five, because everybody can't leave. But if there's something you're passionate about, how can you incorporate that into what you do? I was working with the CEO recently and I was talking to her and clearly she was just overwhelmed because she had so much to do. And I said, how about this? When you have your next staff meeting, 
why don't you ask your team members, what is it that you would love to do for the organization that you haven't been asked to do? And just see what happens. So she went to the meeting. She asked a question. There was someone on the team that said, you know what, I really like to write. I would love to do our quarterly newsletter. That was something the CEO had been trying to juggle. And there was someone else who said, you know, we're doing all these events for the company. I would love to plan some of those. So that was something else that came off the CEO's plate. Sometimes I believe if we ask the question, what is it that you love to do? And how can you incorporate that into your work? I, I kind of think, Mayor, you like to play golf. There are principles. <laughs> there are principles about sports, about golf, that you can transcend into the work you do as mayor. And when we think about the things that we're interested in, what is it that I love about my passion of writing that I can bring into my work? Right. What is it that I love about bringing people together that I can incorporate into my workshops? You know, uh, again, you mentioned the aspect of golf, and one of the things that uh, uh, caused me some uh, level of pressure, if you will, is being introduced to golf by some former bosses, <laughs> your superintendent, deputy superintendent, and the athletic director, and uh, playing our first time out of town, myself with uh, uh, some rented clubs, uh, no glove, no golf shoes, and no clue about how to swing a golf club. And having, uh, for those golfers who understand this, 126 for nine holes of golf. Okay. So you should have had a score basically about 36. Okay. So I was at least 90 strokes over <laughs> the normal in terms of the process. And I did extremely well on hole eight and nine, like a par and, and a bogey. But the aspect of, of doing that and having that experience in that space uh, caused me to be extremely, extremely motivated. Mm hmm the other thing that caused me to be motivated was the fact that on hole number one, there was a big picture window in front of the clubhouse, and it was loaded with a bunch of school administrators who were watching me. <laughs> it was just a, a window where I couldn't see in, but they could see out. And so they were like on the floor, I was told, laughing and rolling <laughs> around uh, with uh, regards to uh, the show that I was putting on the floor. And so after having that experience, being the butt of every joke, uh, every time I got to make a presentation about school funding, you know, for the next year, someone would say golf, and they would start laughing. Someone would say Jeff Mims, they say golf, and then they start laughing. So I decided to take some lessons uh, that next year, two weeks before the um, the tournament that we we're going to, and I beat everyone, <laughs> at which they were all surprised. So was uh, was I okay in terms of that process, but that has given me. Uh, a clear indication of what I could do if I put my mind to it. Mm -hmm. What I could do if I wanted to be on, on top of the mountain as opposed to at the bottom being the, the, the basis of all the jokes. I've used that as the uh, superintendent decided to have a scholarship golf tournament for the district, you know, again, back in the day, back in 91, 92. So he said, okay, you play golf, you know a lot of people, so therefore you're in charge of our scholarship golf tournament. And so we were able to take that and move it into one of the biggest golf tournaments in the region. They gave 10 kids a $1,000 check and a laptop computer every year in terms of our golf tournament. And it got to be so popular that we had to turn people away each and every year. Uh, now, of course, use it for a social fund, 
Uh, we used it at one point in time to play golf with the high school athletic director uh, for the state athletic association. And it brought the state track meet to Dayton because he wanted to play golf and he wanted me to give him some lessons. So for five <laughs> years, when Ohio State was uh, being renovated for, uh, I think the Jesse Owens Stadium was being renovated. So we had the golf tournament here in Dayton for uh, five consecutive years. Now, I just said it to say that we also had uh, about four and a half million dollars of outside uh, money that came into the city for people staying, mm -hmm. playing, eating, and lodging relative to our city. But uh, it's one of those things that I still do with young people. In fact, with the uh, white leg and the men of color and the males of color, I'll be doing my annual golf tournament with them, uh, I think probably about the 30th of August, no, 30th of uh, October. And so you're welcome to come by. Since I know you do things with the Girls and Boys Club as well. Uh, you and your husband, and I know that you do a lot of support things and activities with the, with Wileg. So, so you're welcome to participate. So I don't know how to play golf. That's all right. We, but I'll tell you a secret. I have these. You talked about my pink dress. I have these beautiful pink golf clubs. Okay. All right. So I would need a lesson before this tournament because I, I would probably be like you. There's some people in the picture window yeah. who would be going, is that Dr. Kara Townsend? <laughs> no, I'm sure. I'm sure they would laugh with love. I'm sure they would laugh with love. So uh, your educational career. Yeah, one of my rivals, uh, of course, going to Central State University after I came from the military and uh, knowing that Kentucky State was always our rival, uh, each of our, our basketball games, football games, and whatever else was going on. During that time, I was at the Central State University, and uh, is I, this is this being video? It's being video. We got <laughs> we we got it. We got you covered. <laughs> Yo, um, HBCU, HBCU um, uh, organizations and schools across this nation have uh, been known to contribute so much richness, if you will, as far as this community is concerned. And uh, Ohio is very special because we're the only state has two HBCUs located here in Ohio, and they just happen to be across the street from each other. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, talk about the richness and ideas and thoughts and concepts that help contribute to who you are you know, by going to that institution. So I'll tell you this, uh, Mayor. Last year I had um, the highlight of my career. Okay. You mentioned that you heard me speak at YLAC, which was awesome because I love speaking. I love speaking to young ladies. Last year, however, I was tapped to be the keynote speaker at Kentucky State's homecoming. Okay. Okay. And that was just such a joy to me because I love Kentucky State University. Right. I have a degree from Kentucky State, from the Ohio State University, and also the University of Dayton. But when I think about my school, I think of Kentucky State. And I'll tell this story real quickly. One Saturday, years and years ago, I was at home watching a movie on the Lifetime channel. And a friend of mine from Madisonville, Kentucky, which is where I'm from, he called and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm watching a Lifetime movie. Why are you asking? He said, you aren't watching the football game? And I said, what football game? He said, this is the greatest football game in the history of college football. Your school is playing. And I was thinking, what in the world is Kentucky State doing playing in January? It wasn't Kentucky State. It was Ohio State. Okay. And they were playing in the Rose Bowl. And it was a, it was a fabulous media, uh, game. And yeah. the reason it was a disconnect for me was because when you say my school, right. I default to Kentucky State because I believe HBCUs do so much for diamonds in the rough, for at-risk kids, for 
people from the wrong side of the tracks, people like me. And I am very clear that I am who I am because of Kentucky State University. No disrespect to the other schools, but sometimes it's important for young people to see themselves represented. And that's what I was able to experience at Kentucky State. You know, it, it was my intro uh, going to Central State University, you know, after um, three years, five months in a day in the military. <laughs> Not that, it was counting. Okay. Uh, and then working in the, the uh, manufacturing area and then also as custodian for uh, Dayton Press, the old McCall's, uh, for about uh, four or five months. And then having some, some challenges there in terms of adversity associated with my wanting to move up into an area that I was gifted in, in high school, which was uh, uh, printing, graphic arts, et cetera. And to be told that I was underqualified for an apprenticeship program, and then after the interview, samples of my work, being told five weeks later that I was overqualified. So I was kind of like, so I got this picture. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, because I had a strong self-value system, I said, okay, I just go to school, Central, come back and take over this department once I graduate. And so that was my motivation for going to college. But while there, I moved into two, uh, some other areas, graphics, art, education, et cetera. But the, the uh, family atmosphere, if you will, uh, is one that created this uh, uh, warm feeling, mm-hmm. the interaction with individuals. And because I was an older student, seeing young people who were a year or two behind me in high school, now a year or two or three ahead of me. And so I still felt like I was ahead of them, if you mm-hmm. will, because of the age factor. But finding so much support uh, in that space and so many people who were there, including instructors, who were willing to help support you, and then being involved with other veterans who were there in a the program that I was in uh, through Model Cities that helped to um, really shape a lot of the kind of uh, thoughts and ideas that I have about how you use your talents to help people. So I know that... Um, you then go on the master's program at Wright State and then additional work at UD as well. Uh, those things, I think, like you said before, sort of help to shape you, mm-hmm. giving you that diverse uh, type of experience that you need to have, especially if you want to help other people. You know, so you mentioned in, in uh, some of your thoughts into looking at your bio about how someone takes diversity and then use that uh, diversity to leverage themselves towards how they want to I want to improve themselves and then use the talents and skills from that perspective to help others. Can you talk about that for a bit? I think it's very important, number one, to help people understand that everybody brings value. Right. Regardless of who you are, what your zip code is, what you look like, who your mama is, everybody brings value. I also think it's important for people like you and me to tell our stories. It is so easy for a young person to look at you and think, oh, he's the mayor. He's had an easy life. He's had everything given to him. But when you tell the story about, I went to the military, I went to college, I applied for a job, I didn't get it, people need to hear those stories. And I believe when we have the courage to tell our truth, it gives other people permission to tell theirs, and then they feel like they're not alone. I'll be the first to tell you I feel so blessed to live right. the life that I live today. I mean, I'm, I'm here with the mayor of Dayton. I was invited to be a special guest. 
uh, I'm not from Dayton, but had okay. I grown up in Dayton, it would have been in a place like DeSoto Bass. Okay. And all too often, mm-hmm. if you grow up in a certain neighborhood, in a certain zip code, if you are a certain demographic, people decide what your life circumstances are going to be. Yep. And that's why for me, I believe I have an obligation to say to that young lady in DeSoto Bass, you know what? I grew up in a place just like this. And I've been able to create a life that I'm really proud of. And you can do the same. You know, sometimes young girls say, oh, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. I want to be the new version of Karen Townsend. And I always say, she's taken. Just be the best version of you. And they do that when we tell our stories. No, I mean, I I totally agree. I mean, right now, living in the right Dunbar area, uh, about five blocks from the first house, that uh, I lived in with my parents when mm-hmm. I was two months old when we first came to Dayton, Ohio, and living in the attic, you know, of uh, someone else's home mm-hmm. uh, for I'm not sure how many years. I think before we moved, but it was a uh, it was a safe place. Uh, and and knowing that, um, uh, some people talk about knowing that they were poor. I mean, I didn't know I was poor. Okay, I didn't know my parents were poor because I know I ate every day. If something happened, I could go to the doctor, you know, or something to the dentist or something along. along on those lines, and, and which is one of the things that I see uh, so much, if you will, as a as a motivation for for being a mayor mm-hmm. in terms of how you try to create the best conditions you can for people that want to live, work, play, uh, raise a family, uh, be educated, and grow old. And so that's my mantra when I talk about uh, Dayton, Ohio, in terms of how we want to do things, how we can raise the medium income to the point where we are a middle class city and seeing that growth continue because of investments and things of that, of that nature that are happening. But probably more so than that are, are, are the aspects of seeing so many investors, mm-hmm. seeing so many partners uh, and partnerships that we have developed as far as the city is concerned uh, throughout the, not just the city, but throughout this region. So those are the kind of things that sort of, um, and people say they keep me up at night, but they keep me up in a, in a positive way. Okay, and thinking about uh, our next move, the things that we're doing from that perspective. And one of the reasons, again, why I wanted to talk with you and have more people see uh, and hear from you about what's happening in your life is one of the things that I think is motivational. Because mm-hmm. Everyone knows how, how crazy I am about kids. Because <laughs> you know, I still act like I'm 12 years old a lot. Okay, So the aspect of uh, having a youth summit this past, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, and having almost 300 kids again, and a session dealing with mental health, dealing with uh, mentoring, dealing with the uh, jobs, careers, as well as uh, civic engagement. Can I be a part of that next year? Oh, you sure can. So I'm going to tell you, sure I was can. I was feeling some kind of way, Mayor, oh. because we were preparing for our event, which was taking place, and I saw all these people. I thought, <laughs> we should be a part of this. <laughs> well, you know, certainly it's an open invitation. But we'll make sure my man writes you down so we, we got you. That you checked off in terms of being uh, being there for next year. You know, Sierra Leone opened us up mm-hmm. this year. Again, tremendous program. And again, just so many good people in, in that space. But one of the things that's challenging to me, uh, I understand it, but I want to get your take on it as well, is both last year and this year, the uh, number one session that young people signed up for overwhelmingly was the session dealing with mental health. Mm-hmm. So from your perspective, why do you think that's so um, 
necessary, why that was chosen by young people in terms of the kinds of things that are going on uh, right now in the United States and here in the city of Dayton? That's a great question. I believe there are a couple of reasons. Okay. Number one, we are just on the other side of COVID. Right. And that was um, a health pandemic, but I also think it was an emotional pandemic. And for the first time, I believe we, we now have permission to talk about mental health, mental okay. wellness. We, we've always had people in our communities that suffered with depression and anxiety and other mental health concerns, but we weren't allowed to talk about it. So I'm excited to hear that the young people raised their hands and said, this is something that we need to talk about. Because whether or not we talk about it, young people are dealing with issues. And if we don't give them a safe place to have those conversations, then they try to figure out other ways to deal with those issues. That's why we have young people who um, have substance abuse issues because we can't talk about it. That's why we have young people who are in relationships that aren't always positive because they can't talk about it. So kudos to you for even making that space available. And I'm so proud to hear that the young people said this is something that's important to us. And beyond young people, I think adults need to know that it is okay to ask for help. There's no stigma associated with if I've got high blood pressure, I'm going to go see my doctor and get the necessary medication or interventions. If I've got um, some form of cancer, if I've got any other health issue, there's no stigma. We've got to remove the stigma as it relates to mental health issues. Yeah. You know, and uh, Dr. Pope uh, uh, was the person who handled that both last year and this year. She was very popular in that space. The young people responded to her uh, extremely well. And, uh, and then coming out of that session, they all felt like they had, had gained something in that process. You know, and it's special to be in a situation like that uh, because people ask me uh, a lot as, as mayor, uh, why are you so focused on education? Is it just because you used to be a teacher and a coach? And I said, no, clearly that's not the reason. The reason that's very clear and that more people now are understanding is that the day after graduation, you know, if you're not going to the military, you're not going to college, if you're not gainfully employed, you are in a situation, unfortunately, where you're draining some of the social resources in our community that are meant to be a bridge from uh, a point of need to a point of being self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And if you are using that bridge as a permanent way of life, you are minimizing the opportunities for supporting yourself as well as others and enjoying the high quality of life opportunities that I would love for you to have as far as being a resident as far as the city of Dayton is concerned. So we think this uh, our responsibility for those of us who are city leaders to engage every way, shape, or form we can in helping support all those situations around us. Because if you want to have a city full of great citizens, I think it's our responsibility to grow them way that uh, we think will, will help fit uh, the city. Uh, I mean, just uh, last week we heard about the aspect of uh, $500 million of being investment to the city of Dayton uh, through this um, uh, Joby program with these, mm-hmm. these, these little playing combination. Air, the air what? taxis. Air taxis. Yes. Okay, 2,000 jobs. Okay. I would love for at least uh, 
maybe 1,999 <laughs> of those jobs to be Dayton residents. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And that would take our medium income sky high, if you will, in terms of creating that. Because when those things happen, then you begin to improve the quality of life, not just for yourself, but for everyone that's in this city. Absolutely. So, so clearly, uh, no one can debate that issue in terms of why that's such a priority of mine. You're preaching to the choir. I'm an advocate of education. I know I'm here because of education. And even in my work, sometimes people say, well, we, Dr. Karen, can you come in and do some diversity training for us? And a wise person once told me, you train dogs, you educate people. Okay. So I'm about education, K through 12, beyond college, in the corporate arena. Education is what makes the difference. Okay. You got my heart when it comes to that. I really appreciate it. (laughs) You know, time has gone by so quickly. There are some things I wanted to say. Maybe we had to catch up at another time. But I really, really, Dr. Karen Townsend, really appreciate your time. And I certainly give my regards to your husband, Sylvester. And thank you guys for the great work you're doing, that you're doing with um, our Boys and Girls Club. Because they have seen such tremendous growth uh, with your guys' investments. I have to tell you, Mayor Mims, you made an indelible imprint on the young people at the club. Just your presence made a difference. Seeing you made a difference. So thank you for not being a mayor that just stays in his office in City Hall, but being a mayor who is seen in his city. Oh, that's sweet. That's hard to top that. So I think that's probably a good note for us to end up. (laughs) So again, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Birthplace of Next a publication of the City of Dayton's Office of Communications and Public Affairs. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the latest news about what's happening in Dayton. If you have questions or feedback for us, please email cityhall at daytonohio.gov.